Blog Talk Radio. Thank you. 
Blog Talk Radio. Your name is holy. 
against us, Lord Jesus, will prosper in Jesus' name. We ask you, Lord, to clean out the air, Lord, from north to south, east to west. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, black the power from the air, from hell, from earth, in Jesus' name. Mighty Jesus, mighty Yeshua, mighty Lord, mighty God. In Jesus' name, we ask you, Lord, glorify yourself, Lord Jesus, tonight, Lord. Lord, hallelujah, that the word you have given me, Lord, I'll be able to give it out tonight in Jesus' name. A most important message, Lord Jesus, to your people, Lord. Lord Jesus, clean out the air, Lord Jesus. Remove the power of you and black them in Jesus' name. Be a shield to this program, to everyone's life tonight in Jesus' name. Almighty Lord, mighty God, I thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God. Minister, Lord, to the need of your people. Let your anointing break the joke. Tonight, in Jesus' name, for north to south, east to west. Oh, Lord Jesus, let your anointing break the joke tonight. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, name, let your power set the life free, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, let your power and anointing flow tonight, Lord Jesus. From your throne to your, your people's life, Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, mighty Lord, mighty God. We pray, Lord Jesus, minister, Lord. Help your people to log in and listen tonight and be minister. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. My goodness, it's an anointing. There is an anointing for God's people tonight. For those that would open their heart and be minister, the Lord is willing to minister to your need. Give your burden to the Lord. Whatever you're going through, give it to Jesus. Hallelujah. No matter what, what the enemy is bringing against you, give it to Jesus. Give it to the Lord. The angel of the Lord will come around those that fear him and will protect you in Jesus' name. Believe the Lord in his word. Trust the Lord in his word. The Lord will minister. The Lord will heal you. The Lord will take away your pain and your suffering tonight if you give it to him in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I come in agreement with those that are suffering. Those that are going through pain and suffering, those that are hurting in Jesus' name, give it to the Lord and the Lord will take it away in Jesus' name. You will not feel it when the Lord takes it away. It will be gone. It will be gone in Jesus' name. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Give it to the Lord. Give your pain, your hurting to the Lord. Your sickness, give it to Jesus. Your worry, your concern, give it to Jesus. And the Lord will take it away. The Lord will minister. The Lord will raise you high. The Lord will raise you on the air like an eagle. The Lord will raise you high like an eagle. Thank you, Lord. The Lord will give you strength like the buffalo. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Receive the Lord's strength. Receive the Lord's ministration to your life. Really give the Lord your burden and concern. Receive strength from the Lord right now. In Jesus' name. Receive healing. Receive deliverance in Jesus' name. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Oh, I thank you, Lord. The Lord came to set the captive free. Hallelujah. Whatever is holding you captive, the Lord came to set the captive free. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God. My goodness, what a peace I received this morning. For from 4 to 5 o'clock in the morning around there somewhere, Jesus came to visit me in the hotel where I was staying in vacation. I want to thank my brother Body, hallelujah, for helping me with the Lord Tower. The internet there was not good, brothers and sisters. Amen. But the Lord wanted me to rest and 
just being in communion with him, in communication with him. Brothers and sisters, praise you, Lord. It's what the Lord said to me. Praise you, God. He just wanted me to be, spend time with him. And what a time, what a time, what a time. Thank you, Lord. I received two visitations from the Lord in such a special way. that I'm, I'm going to share what the Lord said to me. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. And I know the Lord. As you open your heart, the Lord will minister to your life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mother, what a great Lord we have. What a great God we have. Yes, thank you for Brother Body. Hallelujah. For helping out. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Body, for being willing to help. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. The Lord, this spoke to me. Praise you, Lord. He He wanted me to uh, spend time with my family, rest, and 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 more to seek Him and spend time with Him. Thank you, Lord, and and it was awesome. The visitation this morning was awesome. I tell you this. Thank you, Lord. I was walking in Orlando, or close to Orlando, in Florida, brothers and sisters. And this young man, I tell you, this young man, I uh, was walking with my brother. Dia and, and, and his friend's son and his friend. And this, this young man don't go to church or anything. Praise you, God. And, and the Lord spoke through him. The Lord came down, brothers and sisters. And Jesus got hold of him and said, you see that cloud in the air over Miami, over Florida, that cloud to the, I would say, to the south. Brothers and sisters, right through where the tsunami is going to come. And there's, there's like a permanent cloud there. Someone, before I went to Florida, uh, this brother sent me a picture with his cell phone. He took a picture of this cloud with his cell phone. And said, Brother Obi, what a strange thing this is. There is a thick cloud to the south of Florida, Brother Elvie. And it's, and it's like a message, like a sign, like a sign. And... I said, well, you know what? I, I don't know about this. I'll pray about it, I said to him. Praise you, Lord. And so I just told him I will pray about it. And in two weeks, um, I was planning to go to Florida. My brother had had, uh, had everything arranged. I really wanted us to spend some time with the family. We sometimes just spend uh, uh, some uh, uh, a couple of days a year. He really wanted me to spend time with the family, and the Lord had it all planned. The Lord had it all planned. And I was praying to the Lord to see if it was safe for me to go. Praise you, Lord. And the Lord said it will be. I will return safe. Praise you, Lord. And, and he did. He's awesome. He's a great God. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, hallelujah. Yes, thank you for that. And much reading that rest. And and as the Lord spoke to this young boy, this young boy, he's only eight years old, and said, that cloud is a cloud of sign of judgment, the young boy say. And I knew it wasn't him speaking. I knew it was with Jesus. And his anointing came, his presence of the Lord came all over me. I'm telling you, it, it was just a glory that came over me from the Lord. And the Lord says, I am the one. The Lord spoke to me with an audible voice and says, I am the one that have placed a cloud over Florida as a sign 
on my judgment to come. I am the one, the Lord says to me, speaking to them through this cloud on my judgment to come. This is a sign. My goodness, when that voice came over me, just walking, brothers and sisters, in the day in the daylight as he came to Abraham. My goodness. I could not see the Lord, but the glory was over me, and the voice of the Lord was over me. My goodness. It was it was incredible to have the Lord speak to my life this way. My goodness, what a glory, what an anointing, and what an audible voice of the Lord. It was the Lord that got hold of that boy and spoke. And and it was the Lord that that, that spoke over my life with an audible voice, powerful audible voice. And my goodness, my Lord, my Lord, it, it, was, it was so powerful. And as I continue to meditate on what the Lord just has said in my life, under that power, that anointing, man, it was it was a sense of an urgency from the Lord that he 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 put into my spirit, or he spoke into my spirit. When he spoke those words, he put into my spirit. I could discern that this judgment is very close. As he let me uh, uh, discern, as he let me discern, it it is so close. So close, but it, the Lord also let me know He's whipping for Florida right now. He's crying for Florida right now. It's what, uh, as the urgency came upon my spirit, upon my life, also the cry of Jesus over Florida was in my life from the Lord. And my goodness, you, it's like you can help it cry, weep for for Florida. The judgment is up on Florida, brothers and sisters. As the Lord says, that cloud is a sign of a Florida. My goodness, brothers and sisters. And I tell you this. Physically, this is my first time in Florida. But spiritually, I've been taken there out of my body, taken there by the Lord to Florida, to Miami. And I tell you, that tsunami will cover the whole land. That whole land, all those buildings of the house will be gone. They will be wiped out by the tsunami. I had cried before this, and when that second voice came, when the Lord spoke to me, and I felt the cry of Jesus for Florida. My goodness, the Lord is crying not just for Florida, but He's crying for the east coast of, of the United States. The, the the destruction that is coming is close. It is huge. It is a great destruction. Life are our stake here. The bride of Christ, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. There is an urgency of prayer. I, I mean, I can just play an audio to you of what the Lord is saying through his prophet to the people in America. To pray, to pray, to pray. Because judgment is at hand. Great destruction. It's at hand. When the voice, audible voice of Jesus came on me, I could I could feel his heart, his cry. Imagine his cry put him up, put, put up on my own life from the Lord for Florida, from the East Coast of America, because it's going to start in Florida, Washington D.C., Maryland, my goodness, Georgia, part of Georgia. Uh, New Jersey, New York, 
that that over to a hundred way tsunami uh nothing uh uh will stop it my goodness i I have not been shaking this weight uh after the Lord spoke to me this this couple of days ago it was man it was it was really shaking really 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 shaking brothers and sisters it shook me I understood as the Lord says to me this morning I have planned for you to come here. I have planned for you to come here. He has shown me other things, for instance, which I'm going to go into tonight. Before I share what the Lord showed me and spoke to me this morning, as His glory came upon me in the in the in the hotel, my wife said that my 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 body looked like a body of an angel, with such a, a peace of the Lord on me. His, his glory came on me. And I was in tremendous peace this morning. Tremendous peace from the Lord, from Jesus Christ. From our Lord and Master, Lord Jesus Christ. He came to the room. And it was so real that I I thought it was so in my sleep. But he allowed me to open my eyes and look around the, the look around my the bathroom. He was there. My goodness, my Lord, he, God is more real than we are. We think that, man, we think that we're real, but he's more real than we are. He is more real than we are. My goodness, my goodness, what a glory. What a glory and what a peace. What a peace. That peace surpasses all understanding, truly does. I want to go ahead and I know the Lord is speaking to people's spirit right now. And he is shaking some people in the spirit right now. And, and there are people that are going to listen to this message. They are going, their spirit is going to be shaking. People in Florida, people in Miami, in Orlando, they're going to be shaking in their spirit. And they are going to know that the Lord is speaking to them. It is Jesus speaking to their life because it came from him. He is broken for Florida. Jesus Christ is broken for Florida. He is broken for these people. There are people he loves there dearly. My goodness, that are not listening to him. He is broken for lives. He came to save, not to condemn, but to save. He don't want anyone to perish, but to have everlasting life. It's what he came from. It's what, is he, it's what Jesus is about, salvation. He is a savior that loves his creation. He loves his creation. He loves America. He don't like it to see to see it destroyed. He loves this land. He don't want to see it destroyed, but judgment is imminent. It is imminent. Father God is so angry. My goodness. My goodness, God is even speaking through his prophet. Whether people are listening or not, it's between them and God. But it's going to begin. And when the judgment begins, people are going to cry out to stop, stop, stop. But it's going to get there. They're going to have to cry out to stop. They're going to have to cry out to Father God to please stop the judgment. Please stop it. Too many lives have been lost. Please stop it. 
People want to cry out to God. My goodness. My Lord, help me to deliver your message, Lord, please. Lord, this is a strong message. Lord, this is your message. Lord, help me not to add or not, not to take anything away, Lord. Too many life are at stake, Lord, in this. My Lord, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Have mercy, Lord, for every single soul. Lord, they know not what they do, Lord. They know not what they do. Have mercy, Lord, have mercy, have mercy. Continue to intercede before the Father, Lord Jesus. Please continue to intercede for each life in Florida. In the East Coast of America, Lord, New Jersey, New York, Washington, Maryland, Lord, Georgia, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, Pennsylvania, Lord. Lord, we intercede, Lord, we intercede, we intercede. We intercede for each state in each life, Boston, Lord. My goodness, Lord. My goodness, Jesus, have mercy. Please, Lord, intercede before the Father, Lord, before they are lost. Before any life is lost, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Help those, Lord. Lord, those that call upon your name, help them, Lord Jesus. Lord, Lord, those, Lord, that's been seeking you, Lord, regardless of what's going on, Lord. Help them, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, mighty Lord, mighty God. Mighty Lord, have mercy, have mercy. Lord, by shaking the heart. Awaken them, Lord. Shake their spirit to this message. Lord, anyone on YouTube. To hear this message, Lord, Lord Jesus, shaking their spirit, broken their heart, broken their spirit to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray to Lord. Oh, Lord, that they will be saved, their family, their friend will be saved. In Jesus' name, oh, Lord. Oh, God, oh, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy, oh, Lord. Have mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Matthew seven fourteen, Hallelujah. Praise God. Because a stray, because stray is a gay, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Thank you, Lord. The way is so narrow, and there are few that finds it. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, show me that way this morning. And it is narrow. The way it is narrow. Oh, but it's so holy. That way was being shown right before my eyes this morning. Boy, is that, is that way, brothers and sisters, that way is narrow. Hallelujah. Straight is the gay, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few that will be that will find it. Oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Oh man. Oh man, and that way it is narrow. May the Lord help us. Thank you, Lord. May the Lord help us to find a way and stay in that way. Not go to the right or to the left. Not look to the to the wider way to the world, to sin, to anything that is not of God. Anything that is not of God. Hallelujah. We need to serve God for his glory. Our walk, our life, our walk has to be for his glory. Jesus spoke this word to me. It's for my glory. 
Your walk, Jesus said, your walk has to be for my glory, Jesus said. Our walk has to be for his glory. Not for our glory or the glory of man, but it has to be for his glory. Brothers and sisters, we are waiting and measured by God on how we walk, how we live, how we keep the commandment of God, how we obey them. Even when we give, it has to be done with joy and thanksgiving. Everything is in the word of God, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. We must decrease so he will increase in us. We must decrease so he will increase in our life. It is for the glory of God, brothers and sisters, our life, our walk with Jesus. It's for the glory of God. It is for his glory. Thank you, Lord. First Chronicle 22, 5 said, David said, Solomon, my son, is a young and tender. And the house that is to be built for the Lord must be a seemingly manif- magnificent in fame and enough glo- glory through all the country. Man, it has to be for the glory of God. And I will therefore now make preparation for it. So they will prepare abundantly before his dead. Before David died, David had in his heart to build God a house. A house that will be for the glory of God. A glorious house. Hallelujah. That's how the house was in the Old Testament. Significant of the body of Christ. The church of Christ must be a glorious bride. A glorious bride. A glorious bride. Where the Holy Spirit of God dwells, there must be a glorious bride. Hallelujah. There must be preparation for that. Our life has to be prepared to be a glorious bride. A, gl- a, a glorious bride, it is a bride that, cl- that carries the glory of God in us, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. That's the glorious bride. The temple of Solomon was a, res- a representation of the bride of Christ. How the temple was built, how the temple was prepared, so should the bride of Christ should be built, so should the bride of Christ be prepared. Thank you, Lord. We are the house of God, we are told. A bride without spot or wrinkle, a pure Righteous bride of Christ. And just as Solomon was chosen to build the temple, wisdom was granted to Solomon. Wisdom is granted to the bride. There were five foolish, but there were also five wise virgins. Thank you, Lord. Solomon, David had in his heart to build a house for God. Jesus had in his heart to build, uh, to have a bride that carried the Spirit of God. That is a temple for the Spirit of God. A bride, holy bride, 
can only carry the Holy Spirit of God. It is if the bride is not holy, there must be preparation in that bride, in that person's life, to be holy, to be righteous, to be prepared for the glory of God. Thank you, Lord. That's why our walk must be holy, must be for the glory of God, to carry that glory, to carry that presence of God. That's for that of our life is being prepared. Brothers and sisters, it is not just to be prepared for this life, but also for the coming life and for the eternal life. That's why our preparation continues daily. That's why there must be daily repenting in us. Each, each one of us has an obligation to repent daily before the Lord, before God. As a bride that is being purified, that is being prepared for the glory, holy means set apart. We have been set apart for God, separated to serve Him, to worship Him, to be a servant to Him, to be a bride to His Son. Thank you, Lord. Prepare and dedicate it for his glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God is so awesome. Psalm 29, I said, The voice of the Lord maketh the hands to calf, and layeth bare the forest, and in his temple that everyone speak of his glory. How can everyone in, the, in his temple, speak of the glory they don't have. When God says, give glory to the Lamb, what glory are you going to give if you don't have it? If your life has not been dedicated for his glory, what glory are you going to give? When God demands from you and I, to give him glory. You cannot give what you don't have. In order for you to give God glory, this must be glory in you. Inside of your life. Your life, as is dedicated for his glory, God put in you glory. As God is glorified in your life, God can receive glory because God will put glory in you for you to give glory. So when the Word of God gives, tells you and I to give God glory, to give the Lamb glory, it's because there's glory imparted in your life to give, to give. God don't speak like men. That's why many cannot hear God. Many have problems communicating with God because God's language is true love and rightness. While man can fake, man can deceive, man can mislead with the word, 
And that's why man has problem communicating with God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And the problem we have comes out of sin. That's why we need to repent sin. As I said before, as the Lord has led me to understand, we are like walking sinning machine. Sinning machine, brothers and sisters. We sin most of the time. That's why repenting is required of us 24 hours. I mean, to every day. Because we're like sinning machine. We nonstop sin, and that alone, hallelujah, will keep us away out of the glory. Hallelujah. Will keep us from the glory. And God wants to fill us with his glory. He wants us to have his glory in us. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Because the glory of God brings change, transformation, renewal. renewal. Brothers and sisters, we had studied the glory before. And Jesus tells us what happened when he comes and says, glory. Hallelujah. He changes everything. His glory changes us. That's why we are told, we are taught, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He has passed from death to life. Brothers and sisters, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He has passed from death to life. Brothers and sisters, thank you, Lord. I'll be back after this. I, I got an, an emergency call right now that I must take. Thank you, Lord. And I will be back after this. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. Thank you, sir. Thank you. 
How many of you are hungry for God? Are you hungry for Him? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We are so hungry for the Lord. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yes, we are, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We want more of Him, brother. He wants the floodgates to open up. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Psalm 104.31. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his work. Thank you, Lord. His glory speaks about his works. What he's bringing to our, to our life when we submit our life to Jesus, when we submit our life to God, man, when that glory comes, it's going to change us. And the glory is already there. See, this is this is the one little thing that the glory is already there, brothers and sisters, available for you and I. Thank you, Lord. And God wants to put down His put down His glory in our life. Hallelujah! Isaiah was next to the uh, Isaiah in the year of the King Uzziah. Die, says the prophet Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets in the word of God. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above stood the seraphim, each one saw six wind. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. My goodness, his glory is here to change, to bring the new creature, the new creation that God promised he will bring. That's why if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new creation. God will change us for his glory. But sin, sin, sin keeps us out of that glory. That's why we need to repent. Man, I know that yesterday, last night, in, in, in my repenting with the Lord, there was such a strong anointing, such a strong presence. I didn't know what the Lord was going to do. Thank you, Lord. But I, I just rested in that presence of the Lord, and the Lord just showed up and, and gave me a vision of the way. 
narrow is the way. When when I looked to that narrow way, it was so holy, so pure. I saw Jesus standing in that narrow way. And he first spoke to me a few things that pertain to my family. But the other thing he said, hallelujah, that we walk in a narrow way, but we walk for his glory. It is for his glory that we do it. He says, he says, it's for my glory, he says. And my goodness, I was so happy to see the Lord. I had not seen the Lord for over a month, I believe. And I was I just wanted to see Jesus again, wanted to see the Lord. And when I saw him, I was my body was jumping jumping with gladness, my soul. Man, jump with jump with gladness. Because sometimes you ask yourself, you know, Lord, what am I doing wrong? Hello, did I miss? There was something that I was supposed to do that I didn't do. But it's always in God's timing. Sometimes, sometimes we get full of worry and concern for the for the things of this world. But a minute, a minute in His presence, my goodness, is better than 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 a hundred hours without His presence, or a hundred day, or a hundred year. Just a minute in His presence is so worth it. My goodness, brothers and sisters, don't miss the rapture. Don't miss the rapture in a narrow way. Narrow, narrow is the way that, that leads us to life. And few finds it. As you have found Jesus Christ, which Jesus Christ is the way, the true and the life, no one comes to the Father and says through Him, He is that narrow way. As you find Jesus, as you found Jesus, as Jesus is in your life, don't let him go until he blesses you. Says Jacob, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Stay focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the Lord. The Lord is faithful. He is going to come for his bride. Sometimes it feels like we, we got years to wait. But we don't. The reality is that we don't. Jesus told me that things are going to move fast. I remember and I share that. Things are already moving fast. Distraction is coming. People want to see something happen. They're going to see it soon. It may be too soon. And if people don't hear God, Jesus said to me, I and the one speaking to them. If they don't hear Jesus, if they don't hear God, if they don't hear the calling of God upon their life, it might be too late for some people, and I hope they do hear. I hope there will be an awakening of America this year, even better than the year before. Everything is possible with God. Jesus has come down to touch people. He personally is taking care of business. He is personally touching people's life, brothers and sisters, because 
He knows that once the Father starts releasing his wrath, his judgment, he's not going to stop until he is terrified, until he's finished. Brothers and sisters, people here in the east, north part of America, people need to wake up. People in Florida need to wake up and repent daily and cry out to God to fasting. No more fasting with liquid. Start fasting without food and without liquid now. This is where we are now. This is where we are. Jesus spoke to me about this. He's speaking to other people about this too. No, now he's calling people for strong fasting. Without liquid, without water. This is the time of shakening. Everything is going to be shaken. My goodness. Things are going to start happening and unfolding. And when they do, oh God have mercy. When they do, there will be a lot of tears shed. There will be a lot of blood, a lot of tears too. God have mercy. And he's warning before it comes. He's warning before it comes. Psalm 48, 8:13. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. His glory is above the earth and heaven. My goodness, he wants to awake a generation of people, a generation of youth. He wants to save. He has plans to save so much people. But there will be a lot of life lost. And we, the bride of Christ, have an obligation to cry out to this nation and the nation before the judgment come. We, God's mouth, have to speak. We have to warn. We've been chosen for this. As Jesus himself told me, you have been chosen for this. I cannot quit warning. I cannot quit speaking his message. Because he says, I've been chosen for this. And many others have been chosen for this. But are afraid of what people may say. They are afraid of being called for profit. They are afraid of being point finger to them. They are afraid of man threat. Threaten them. Or saying whatever they want to say against them, evil word. Don't be afraid of man. Don't be afraid of them that can kill your body. But be afraid of him that can destroy your body and your soul in hell. And that alone is God. The devil and man can only destroy your body, but they cannot kill your soul. You are a soul and a body. Do not fear them, but speak God's word. Speak God's warning boldly in the name of the Lord. You are going to be rewarded. You're going to receive a reward in heaven. Nothing that you that you do for this kingdom will be overlooked, will be forgotten. 
but you will be rewarded for every single thing you do or say. Every single work you do, everything you do for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, you are going to receive a reward in heaven. There are many rewards in heaven ready, and I've seen them twice. And they are ready. Jesus has shown them to me in heaven. Their warehouses are gifts in heaven, ready for those obedient Christians. Those Christians that will do God's will. Brothers and sisters, it's waiting for every single Christian that obey God and keep his commandment. They fear God and they're seeking holiness and righteousness. The Lord will reward them. What a great reward to be taken to heaven in the blink of an eye. That is a reward the bride of Christ will receive soon. A transformation, a change. A change is coming for the bride of Christ. But a change is coming for the world. As the bride of Christ gets changed, so will the world be changed. The, the bride of Christ will be changed for glory. The world will be changed for more shame. Shame is coming upon the world. Great shame and great evil will be released upon this earth. Nothing good is coming upon the earth soon. The tribulation is at hand. It will start soon. The only thing is we don't know the daily hour for the rapture. We need to know it for the tribulation. But it's, everything is close. Jesus is crying for this nation. Oh, my goodness. He allowed me to feel his, 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 his crying for this nation, experience his crying. If he would have left it at me for a few minutes, I would have been broken in the street crying. Maybe kissing the floor for mercy, crying out for mercy. That's how strong it was, brothers and sisters. His cry for this nation, for the soul that are about to be lost. Everything is at hand. Everything is close. I hope this message tonight will be placed on YouTube, will be placed on Facebook and different places. So more people will be warm. More people will come to the Lord crying. People in Florida, Washington, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Boston will come crying to Jesus, repenting, repenting. I remember when Jesus showed me great destruction that came to Massachusetts. In the aftermath, of the city being destroyed. I saw people that were backsliding for years coming back to the Lord. People everywhere crying. Now people wanted to hear the message. Now people wanted to gather together to seek the Lord. And the Lord says to me, I'm going to bring this judgment so they will return back to me. This is how I'm going to bring them back to me through this judgment. And I was like, wow. It was such a great judgment that brought people to the feet of Christ. 
Some people see the judgment of evil. But it is for the Lord to save many souls. Many souls will return to the Lord. Many are backsliding now. But when this judgment hit, it's going to be such a strong judgment. America has never felt nothing like this. Has never experienced a type of judgment, brothers and sisters, like this. And it's going to shaking people to the core of their being. They're going to be shaking so strong that they're going to get on their knees and cry out to God for mercy. And Jesus showed me hundreds and thousands of men and women crying back to him, saying, I'm sorry for not believing you, your prophet. I'm sorry for our sin. I'm sorry for backsliding. I'm sorry for turning our back on you. I'm sorry for all the evil we had done, oh Lord. I saw people crying out to the Lord. Multitude of thousands of people. And the Lord says to me, this is what it's going to take to bring them back. It's what's going to take, brothers and sisters. It's what's going to take. It's what's going to take. You don't hear of, of churches like this past years joining pastors that will email me to the Lord Tower that they were joining, gathering thousands of them to cry out for America, to repent before God for America, that God will forgive America. There might be one here or one there or one over there, but that's a, that's a, that's a, that's what's going on. Because many in the churches have turned cold, have turned, the majority have turned and look warm. Very few, as the Lord showed Brother Calvin, are still are still the bride of Christ, because when they turn lukewarm or when they turn cold, they're not the bride of Christ no more. Uh-uh. There is a, a wall of sin between them and God, and when people turn lukewarm, sometimes they justify themselves, and only the the blood of Jesus will justify us. Only His blood, brothers and sisters, only His blood. But many have forgotten that. And the blood can only cleanse you when you repent. Hallelujah. The blood can only change you when you repent. And if the Lord don't bring this imminent judgment, the majority of pastors in church will embrace the, the, the gay marriage in the churches. They will, the pastor will start marrying homosexuals and lesbians in the churches if God don't bring this judgment. God is going to put a clear message to the government of America and to the people that elected the government of America that God will not be mocked. No man is going to mock God and get away with it. That's why this judgment is imminent. The Lord told me it's imminent. When he said to me imminent, it was like me saying, ah, looking back. Like, what? I didn't think the Lord was going to say it is imminent. I didn't think it was going to come out of his mouth. 
I heard the judgment was coming. He told me it would come, and I have said it. But to turn and hear him say it's imminent, to me, that was a shock. Shock. I heard that from people. But to hear that from the Lord, I was really sh shaken by it. Really shaken by it. He says it's imminent. And we know what the word imminent means, brothers and sisters. It's going to happen no matter what. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. The Lord had told specific people, prepare your household, prepare your house, your life, because imminent judgment is coming. And there are people in the East Coast preparing their house, preparing their life, preparing emergency food supply, preparing things that they know they're going to need when that happens. Because it is imminent, and the destruction will come. And may God have mercy. May God have mercy, brothers and sisters. Okay? May God have mercy. That's what I'm going to say, because it is going to come. May, may some people find the Lord. Isaiah 2, 10 said, Enter into the rock, hide thee in thy dust, for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. Isaiah 3, 8, for Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen because her tongue and their doing are against the Lord to provoke his eyes of glory. That's what America has done. They have provoked the Lord before his eyes of glory. Just as Judah, just as Jerusalem, in the day past, provoked God, Jerusalem was ruined, and Judah was fallen. Jerusalem is a type of relationship with God, type of body. And in, in, in Judah, is a type of worship, life. They lost their life because of their tongue and their doing against the Lord to provoke the eyes of glory. This nation had provoked God. And Father God is so angry. And the nation will be ruined. Worship is going to fall. What they, what they worship, most of you can say, will be fallen. Their idols, their idols going to be fallen. Whatever they worship will be fallen. God have mercy. It's all happening. It's all coming. And it's going to come soon. Very soon. Thank you, Lord. Have mercy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There is mercy from God also. Isaiah 62 said, For behold, darkness should cover the earth, and the growth of darkness the people. But the Lord shall rise upon thee, and the glory shall be seen upon thee. There will be a glory coming upon his people. The bride of Christ, will be glorified. We'll be able to move. We'll be able to evangelize like never before. There will be a glory of God upon his upon his people. 
upon the blood of Jesus, upon the son and daughters of God, brothers and sisters, the glory of God will be upon them. And the Bible said it will be seen upon thee. People are going to see God's glory in the bride of Christ as the bride of Christ moves in revival around the nation and the world and perform miracles I've never seen before upon this earth. Greater attendance thee, ye will do, Jesus said. The bride of Christ is going to move in this upcoming revival in such a special way. Yes, behold, the darkness will cover the earth. Yes, it will cover the earth. The gross of darkness of people. Yes. Oh, bah, bah, says the Lord, bah. But the Lord shall rise upon thee, referring to his sons and daughter. And his glory shall be upon thee. Oh, God, they will see God, glory of Upon the bride of Christ, O oh Lord, and those souls that will repent, you will lay hand on them, and there are sick that will recover, and there are pain, suffering, they will be healed. Whatever, whatever is going on in their life, God, glory will be upon the bride, and He's going to move mightily to set the captive free. Hallelujah. There will be a great move of God upon this earth like never was before. Hallelujah. In such a special way. Thank you, Lord. We know that the glory of God moved in the tabernacle of Moses. We know that people saw the cloud for the day and the fire for the night was walking with Israel. They can see God through the, through, the, through the cloud, and they can also see God through the fire. And God moved among them, and they can see this for 40 years, 40 years. Oh, but they had unbelief in their heart, unbelief, repay unbelief. Thank you, Lord. Repent and believe. We must believe God. Whatever God wants to do, we have to say amen. If God wants to use us this way, we say amen. God is preparing a life for something special. Some people just want to die or take it away and disappear. But God still got a work for us to do before he takes us home. It might be a quick work, revival. It's going to be quick. I had a man, a man of God says to me a few days ago, Brother Elvi, the Lord showed him that the revival, I'm going to read his word tomorrow, going to read his word tomorrow, brothers and sisters, don't miss the Lord's Tower tomorrow, to, to read to you what the Lord has shown him. He, he sent it to me in my email. I found another email, Revelation of the Lord, Dreams. And what the Lord has shown them, brothers and sisters, I'm pretty sure they're listening and they want me to read that. Brothers and sisters, I, I just came from nine hour, almost nine-hour drive. I, I'm going to rest. I'm going to rest. And I'm going to leave you with the latest prophecy in a few minutes. But I'm going to tell you this before I, I go, that 
brothers and sisters, hallelujah, uh, the Lord is confirming and showing his people the mighty things he's going to do and bring upon this earth. He's planned to save many souls, but this judgment must come for the eyes of many to be open and believe. They, they, some people need to see. There will be judgment like never they never seen before. Thank you. And they're going to see that. The Lord Jesus, I tell you, as he showed me this this um few days ago in Florida, he is broken for Florida. He is broken for the people of Florida, brothers and sisters. He is broken because of many lives at stake here. And the judgment is about to come. The word of God to prophet Ephraim is not going to fall to the ground. And to many other prophets, as the Lord had told them to speak his message, they had done that. And this video on YouTube, and the Lord is going to fulfill his word. Everything he has said through me about the three signs video, if you are new and you never... If you if if you are new and you have not listened to 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 the three signs video the Lord had me made back in 2012 or 11, uh, go ahead and put LV Zapata on YouTube and listen to that three signs video because the Lord spoke to me that He's going to fulfill those 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 message exactly as He had me said in that video. Jesus spoke those words to me. And I, I was like, okay, Lord, thanks. I was so grateful because he had not forgotten. He says, they are not your message. They're mine, says the Lord. And so he's go, God is going to fulfill those messages. Everything he has said through his prophet, he's going to fulfill. The earthquake in California is going to come. The tsunami in New York, New Jersey, the eastern part, it's going to come, coming through Florida. Destruction is coming. The earthquake, once it starts in California, it's going to go all the way to Maine. The whole United States is going to be shaking. The earthquake in, in, uh, in Chicago is also going to come. The destruction in Georgia is also going to come. There are destruction declared by God coming. The word in Israel, we know. We've seen all the signs of the war in Israel. Uh, they made a deal. They're making a deal with Iran, which will, will leave Iran open to finish the nuclear program, the nuclear weapons, and make as much as they want. As Juanita Yahoo has said, it's, leaving, it's, it's giving actually Iran what the United States and these nations are doing, the deal they're making with Iran. It's giving the Iran the open door, the opportunity to develop the nuclear weapon as they plan it. You know that they have made uh, several, I mean more than 20 nuclear facilities to develop the nuclear weapons. And I believe they're going to be allowed to have, I believe it's 20 or 10, I'm not sure right now. I didn't finish reading the news. Uh, to, uh, Monday is when they're going to finalize the deal, according to the news I read today. But 
it is always Netanyahu has said, brothers and sisters, it is just such a horror how the nation has supported Iran. Instead of stopping Iran, they are supporting Iran. But it must happen, brothers and sisters, because they are going to use it against Israel. All the weapons they have developed, they're going to use it against Israel. And with the help of the nation, now Russia wants to sell them more weapons, and all that is going to go through on Monday. I, I can't wait to hear the news on Monday about all this mess. Because it is the word of God is being fulfilled right before our eyes. Please continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that God will bless Israel. God will bless the apple of his eyes. He will bless them and keep them and protect them from all his enemy around and about them. Brothers and sisters, my goodness, the United States helping Israel's enemy. That is so sad. But it, will, it, it was prophesied that it will get to this point. But the earthquake and tsunami is going to awaken this nation and how angry God is. They don't know how angry God is yet, but the judgment as it hit this nation soon is going to open up their eyes to understand that man should not mark God. The economy, Jesus told me in the beginning of this year, it's going to fall. There are a lot of people, I, I found another video on the economy, a, a change in the economy in August of this year. They're talking August 20. I, I have it saved here on my browser. August 20, brothers and sisters, I posted earlier, it's when they are saying that there will be a change in the economy, okay, uh, here, here, here's one of the words, I, I, uh, uh, that's Dr. Ron Paul, he's a major, whining to a U.S. senior, and so he is, he is his whining, is part of his whining, he uh, is the link to what, what he's saying, read this, pray about this, I'm telling you, all these things are close, the other, other, uh, People that are well-informed with what's going on in the government also saying the same thing. I found another uh, information was posted earlier in regard to what might be unfolding very quick, very soon. And, and it's pointing to August, August, uh, um, August 20 is what they're saying. That all this stuff, hallelujah, October New Currency, it's all coming it's all closed. It's all going to fall. Please keep this nation in prayer, brothers and sisters, because everything is so close to come. Amen. And people just need to get right with the Lord, because the Lord will take care of us. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be hiding. We don't need to be under fear. No, no, no. We don't need to be under no fear. The Lord is in control. And, and, and he's going to take care of us as people. Amen. Here's the later prophecy, brothers and sisters. Welcome back, everyone. This is Frank DeMore, the author of the book, The Last Chronicles of Planet Earth. I would like to again welcome you to my YouTube channel and ask you if you would go over to my website to read much more news that you're going to see here just on the YouTube channel. 
But today, again, as I did yesterday and now almost every single day, I'm giving you updates on the birds, the fish, and the animals that are dying. This is part of Bible prophecy for the last days, a warning that we see from Hosea. And so let me turn over to Hosea and show you what's going on since yesterday's post, which was July the 9th. I'm going to pick up again on July 9th because there were other reports that came in on the 9th that I didn't report on yesterday because I didn't have them at the time. But I'm going to show you what's happened since yesterday from the 9th through the 10th. And if you are new, you'll come to my website and you're going to see the videos showing you these different reports. You'll see the headline like this for every day making the updates for you so that you don't have to search for it. I'm going to have the links at my site so that you'll be able to click the link and read the entire article. And keep in mind, some of these articles are translated by Google because they're coming from different countries. But the bottom line is the reports are here. They're coming in almost on a daily basis showing us that these birds, fish, and animals are dying off. Now, for those of you who don't know, there is prophecy about that, and let me show you where that prophecy is so that you'll understand. You can freeze the frame here and go to Isaiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. You'll see it in red, where it talks about with the beasts of the fields and the fowls of the heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. There's a lot of reasons why the birds, the fish, and the animals are dying off in large numbers. And there's a lot of reports, just like I said yesterday, that it is a mystery. Officials just can't figure out why so many of the birds, the fish, or the animals are dying. And, of course, that theme, again, is being played out today. So this is where I left off yesterday, the last article in Peru that killed 12,000 apacas. So let's go now to the new news that came in, as I said, July 9th, after I made this YouTube video. Here we are in the Netherlands, July 9th, 2015. Again, as I said, mysterious mass death of eels. France, July 10th, 2015. Now the river that these 6,000 fish died off at as you can see here, was considered the most nourishing of departments. But now, because of pollution, you have another 6,000 fish that have died off, and pollution around the world is a major concern. In Belgium in 2015, July 10th, we see Brussels, why hundreds of dead fish floating on the surface of the canal. Yesterday I told you a large part of the problem was oxygen being depleted because the intense heat from the sun and drought conditions, and of course those are conditions also that the Lord warned us about in the Gospels and in the book of Revelation. And here we go again where we see that the heat and the drought has affected so many of the fish here in Belgium. Now I'm going to keep the red flag up because these reports are going to continue to come in. And I can't tell you if it's going to be like it has on a daily basis, but more than likely that will happen because of the birth pangs that Jesus talked about are getting worse and worse. And so as 
they are getting worse. We're starting to see more of these reports from many different nations around the world. And if you want total information about it, you can go over to my website, and here's a little link right here. You click the link. Just scroll down. You don't have to turn pages or anything. Just scroll down. You'll see the Dying Animal Archive from 2009, which I have been recording, all the way to current of 2015. We'll start in January, and you can scroll down. You can see hundreds of reports from all over the world, fish, birds, animals that are dying off. This is part of the last day's prophecies, and I'm hoping that people will begin to pay attention to what's going on because we are watching prophecy almost now on a daily basis in one form or the other. This is Frank DeMora from the End Times Research Ministry. Tell your friends about my website. Help me to help spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. His by Alex Jones yesterday, and uh, I mean, it was alarming, alarming to say the very least, the things that he was sharing, the things that uh, he is hearing are about to unfold, and I'm encouraging everybody, please take 12 minutes and listen to that video. It is on my channel, on the Rapture Watch video, this is the first video, it is entitled Emergency Alert. Elite now evacuating. So, um, I I feel like what the Lord wants me to share with the body of Christ. Okay, you like me may listen to a lot of uh, investigative reporters or Christian investigative reporters who are sharing uh, things you don't hear on the mainstream media, and it, it it's I mean it's it's alarming the things we're hearing, but what we're not hearing a lot of times is what to do. What do you do uh, in response to the information we're receiving? And that's what I feel the Lord wants me to share with you. Um, a few years ago, John Paul Jackson shared something the Lord had given him concerning the darkness coming upon the earth. And basically what the Lord said to him was, it is going to get darker and darker until my people learn to call upon me. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear a lot of people um, talking about the political candidates who are running for the presidency. Um, I hear uh, just a lot of, I mean, if you turn the news on, I mean, this is the kind of thing that they're talking about. And it seems as if the church is, is in that same uh, place with the rest of the world looking to some candidate to rescue us from this place we're in. And, you know, I'm here to tell you there is no magic leader. There is nobody that is going to rescue this nation 
from the place it's in and from the place it's headed. We have a king, Jesus Christ. And it is time to start calling upon him. Church, we have to start looking to him. He is our only hope. He is the only one who can help us now. We are in a very, I mean, it is a desperate place. I mean, I cannot emphasize to you how desperate of a place we are in right now. The church, America, I mean, the entire world. And we have, there are forces of evil right now encroaching upon this nation, getting ready to lock her down. There are forces of evil that want to destroy millions of people on this earth. And we, church, we are here right now to occupy until Jesus removes us. It is our duty to intercede. It is our duty to to come before the throne of God and request mercy and request grace and and request that these judgments um, that we know the U.S. deserves, we know America deserves judgment, but to request his God's grace and mercy and, and that he would support these judgments uh, while the church is here and that we would, as the church, push back the forces of evil that are coming against the world. It is time, church. It is time. We, we cannot afford any longer to be on the sidelines and observing. If we, I submit to you, church, if we do not, in the next few days, unite in prayer, in intercession, in spiritual warfare, the enemy is going to advance in a way that we have not seen before. And we may see the beginning of World War III. And we may see the beginning of the end of America. And I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see this world um, go into a, a world war. I don't want to see America taken captive by a socialist regime, okay? And I most of all want to see the church rise up and take her place of authority over the forces of darkness. You know, when Jesus died on that cross and he rose from the dead, that victory over the forces of evil is our victory over the forces of evil. But we have to assume it. We have to take it, okay? It is time, church, to take back America. Take back America. Um, a couple of years ago, I'm going to share real briefly, I, a friend of mine and I were praying one night. We felt led to intercede for America, and we spent a long time praying. And that night when I went to bed, I had a dream. And in the dream, there was a book opened up before me. And I remembered looking down and reading these words. The Lord God Almighty will rescue America. The Lord God Almighty will rescue America. It didn't say any politician. It didn't say any man or woman. The Lord God Almighty. 
And as I was putting an outline together of what I was going to say today in this video, um, I looked out my bedroom door and I saw a vision very clearly of a man who looked to be like a, from the colonial era. And as I looked, I just was trying to discern in my spirit what the, what the Lord was showing me. And the name Paul Revere came up in my spirit. And I felt that the Lord was saying, you know, that this, this message, this, you know, Alex Jones message, what I'm sharing, it's a Paul Revere message, a last-minute message, warning. It is so important, people, that we begin church, please join me, intercede with me on behalf of, of this nation, on behalf of the nations of the world, that the things the enemy has planned will be thwarted and that America will not be taken captive and that the church will rise up and shine and reign and occupy while we wait for Jesus. Thank you and God bless. Heading back to our chapter one about Admiral Byrd, um, we're going to quote from Ray Palmer, editor of Flying Saucers magazine and a leading American expert on flying saucers, who is one of the opinion that Admiral Byrd's discovery in the Arctic and Antarctic regions offer an explanation to the origins of flying saucers, which he believes does not come from other planets, but from the hollow interior Earth, where exists an advanced civilization far in advance of us in aeronautics using flying saucers for aerial travel, coming to the outside of the Earth through their polar opening. Palmer explains his views as such. So Admiral Byrd's two flights over both poles prove that there is a strangeness about the shape of the Earth in both polar areas. Bird flew to the North Pole, but did not stop there and turn back, but went 1,700 miles beyond it, and then retraced his course to his Arctic base due to his gasoline supply running low. As progress was made beyond the pole point, iceless land and lakes, mountains covered with trees, and even a monstrous animal resembling a mammoth of antiquity was seen moving through the underbrush, and all this was reported via radio by the plane's occupant. For almost all of the 1,700 miles, the plane flew over land, mountains, trees, lakes, and rivers. What is this unknown land? Did bird travel due north, enter into the hollow interior of the earth through the northern polar opening, Later, Admiral Byrd's expedition went to the South Pole, and after passing it, went 2,300 miles beyond it. Once again, we have penetration, an unknown and mysterious land, which does not appear on today's maps. And once again, we find no announcement beyond the initial announcement of the achievement, due to official suppression of news about it. And the strangest of all, we find the world's millions absorbing the announcements and registering a complete blank insofar as curiosity is concerned. Here, then, are the facts. 
At both poles exist unknown and vast land areas, not in the least uninhabitable. Extending distances which can only be called tremendous because they encompass an area bigger than any known continental area. The North Pole Mystery Land, seen Bird and his crew, is at least 1,700 miles across its traverse direction and cannot be conceived to be merely a narrow strip. It is an area perhaps as large as the entire United States. In the case of the South Pole, the land traversed beyond the pole, including an area as big as North America, plus the South Polar Continent. The flying saucers could come from these two unknown lands beyond the poles. It is the opinion of the editors of Flying Saucers magazine that the existence of these lands cannot be disproved by anyone. Considering the facts of the two expeditions, which we have outlined, if Rear Admiral Byrd claimed that his South Polar Expedition was the most important expedition in the history of the world, and if after he returned from the expedition, he remarked, the present expedition was opened up a new vast land, it would be strange and inexplicable how such a great discovery of a new land area as large as North America, comparable to Columbus's discovery of America, should have received no attention and have been almost totally forgotten so that nobody knew about him from the most ignorant to the most learned. The only rational explanation of this mystery is after the brief announcement in the American press based on Admiral Byrd's radio report, further publicity was suppressed by the government in whose employ Byrd was working and which had important political reasons why Byrd, his historical discovery, should not be made known to the world for he had discovered two unknown land areas measuring a total of 4,000 miles across and probably as large as North and South American continents, since birds' planes turned back without reaching the end of this territory, not recorded on any map, evidently the United States government feared that some other government may learn about birds' discovery and conduct their own tests. So get out a map. Look at your map. What land was it? Calculate the distance from all the known lands we have previously mentioned, Siberia, Spitsbergen, and Alaska, Canada, Finland, Norway, Greenway, and Iceland. A good portion of them are well within the 1,700-mile range, but none of them are within 200 miles of the North Pole. Bird flew over no known land. He called it the great unknown. And great is indeed, for after 1,700 miles over land, he was forced by gasoline supply shortage to return, and he had not yet reached the end of it. Forests? Incredible. The northernmost limit of the timberline is located well down into Alaska, Canada, and Siberia. North of that line, no tree grows. All around the North Pole, the trees do not grow within 1,700 miles 
of the pole. What do we have here, folks? This is a well-authenticated flight of Admiral Richard E. Byrd to a land beyond the pole that he so much wanted to see because it was the center of a great unknown, the center of mystery. Apparently, he had his wish gratified to the fullest. Yet today, nowhere is this mysterious land mentioned. Why was that a 1947 flight fiction? Do all the newspapers lie? No, Admiral Byrd flew beyond the pole. So let's really single in on beyond. What did the Admiral mean when he used that word? How is it possible to go beyond the pole? Let us consider for a moment. Let us imagine that we are transported <laughs> to the exact point of magnetic north pole. We arrive there instantaneously, not knowing which direction we came, and all we know is where to proceed the pole from the pole to Spitsbergen. Where is Spitsbergen? Which way do we go? South, of course, but which is south? All directions from the North Pole are south. This is a simple navigation problem. All expeditions to the pole, whether flown or by submarine or on foot, have been faced with this problem. Either they must retrace their steps or discover which southerly direction is the correct one to their destination, wherever it has been determined to be. The problem is solved by making a turn in any direction and proceeding in approximately 20 miles. Then we stop, measure the stars, correlate our compass readings, which are no longer straight down, <laughs> but pointing behind us, and the plotter course on the map. Then it's a simple matter to proceed to proceed to that city. Folks, 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 Admiral Byrd did not follow this traditional navigation procedure. When he reached the pole, he continued for 1,700 miles. To all intents and purposes, he continued on a northerly course after crossing the pole. And weirdly, it stands on record that he succeeded, or he would not see the land beyond the pole, which to this day, if you scan the records of newspapers, books, radio, television, and word of mouth, have never been revisited until now. Now all the nations are gathering in the north. Well, well, well. What's going on up north, folks? And here you can see a brief description from 1929, 1956, even Admiral Byrd's everything that he did of significance is all laid out here. By the way, it also so happens to be around the same time they were nuking the atmosphere, trying to punch a hole through the firmament, which was totally stupid on their part. They didn't know what it was. What did these people find back then? What freaked everybody out in the early 40s? It freaked them out so bad, folks, that they pulled out all the military stops to get there and figure out what was going on with the Earth. Everything changed after this moment. Almost everyone who has parents and grandparents from this time will notice that severe events took place during these days. 
I want to talk briefly about some other writers in this chapter one. Um, there was a, an American writer on flying saucers, Michael X, who briefly described exactly what uh, Admiral Byrd had seen. The above observations of a concentration of flying saucers in the Arctic region corresponds to similar observations by Gerald and Bender of a concentration in the Antarctic, where they have believed by flying saucers experts to have been landing a landing base from there. They are seen to ascend and return. However, according to the theory of this book, what really occurs in the Antarctic is as the Arctic that the flying saucers emerge from and re-enter the polar opening, leading to the hollow interior of the Earth, their true place of origin. Ame Mitchell, in his straight line theory, proved that most of the flying patterns of flying saucers are in a north-south direction, which is exactly what would be true if their origin was polar, coming from either the north or south polar opening. In February of 1947, about the time when Admiral Byrd made his great discovery of land beyond the North Pole, another remarkable discovery was made in the continent of Antarctica, the discovery of Bunger's Oasis. This discovery was made by Lieutenant Commander Dave Bunger, who was at the controls of one of six large transport planes used by Admiral Byrd for the U.S. Navy's Operation High Jump. Munger was flying inland from Shackleton's ice shelf near Queen Mary's coast of Wilkes Land. He and his crew were about four miles from the coastline where open waters lie. The land Munger discovered was ice-free. The lakes were of many different colors, ranging from a rusty red, green to deep blue. Each of the lakes was more than three miles long. The water was warmer than the ocean as Bunger found by landing his seaplane on one of the lakes, each lake had a gently sloping beach. Around the four edges of the oasis, which was roughly square in shape, Bunger saw endless and eternal white snow and ice. Two sides of the oasis rose nearly a 100 feet high and consisted of great ice walls. The other two sides had a more gradual and gentle slope. The existence of such an oasis is far in the far Antarctic, the land of perpetual ice, would indicate warmer conditions there, which would exist if the oasis in the south polar opening, leading to the warmer interior of the earth, as was the case with the warmer territory, with lakes, with land and lakes, that Admiral Bird discovered beyond the North Pole which was probably within the North Pole opening. Otherwise, one cannot explain the existence of such an oasis in unfrozen territory. In further confirmation with Admiral Byrd's discoveries are reports of individuals who claim that they have entered the North Polar opening, as many Arctic explorers did without even knowing they did, and penetrated far enough into it to reach the subterranean world in the hollow interior of the Earth. Dr. Nephi Cottom of Los Angeles reported that one of his patients, a man of Nordic descent, 
told him the following story. I live near the Arctic Circle in Norway. One summer, my friend and I made up our minds to take a boat trip together and go as far as we could into the North Country. So we put one month's food provisions in a small fishing boat, and with sail and also a good engine in our boat, we set to sea. At the end of one month, we had traveled far into the north, beyond the pole, and into a strange new country. We were much astonished at the weather there, warm, and at times at night it was too warm to sleep. Arctic explorers who have penetrated into the far north have made similar reports of warm weather at times warm enough that they could shed their heavy clothing. Then he saw something so strange that both of them were astonished. Ahead of the warm open sea, we were on what looked like a great mountain. Into that mountain, at a certain point, the ocean seemed to be emptying. Mystified, we continued in the direction and found ourselves sailing into a vast canyon leading into the interior of the earth. We kept sailing, and then when we saw, surprised us, a sun shining inside the earth. The ocean that had carried us into the hollow interior of the earth gradually became a river. This river led, as we came to realize later, all through the inner surface of the world from one end to the other. It can take you, if you follow it long enough, from the North Pole clear through to the South Pole. We saw that the inner surface of the earth was divided, as the other one is, into both land and water. There is plenty of sunshine, and both animals and vegetable life abounds there. We sailed further and further into this fantastic country, fantastic because everything was huge in size, as compared with things on the outside. Plants are big, trees gigantic, and we finally came to giants. They were dwelling in homes and towns just as we do on the Earth's surface. And they used a type of electrical conveyance like a monorail car to transport people. It ran along the river's edge from town to town. Several of the inner Earth inhabitants, huge giants, detected our boat on the river and were quite amazed. They were, however, quite friendly. We were invited to dine with them in their homes. And so my companion and I separated, he going with one giant to that giant's home, and I going with another giant to his home. My gigantic friend brought me home to his family, and I was completely dismayed to see the huge size of all the objects in his home. The dinner table was colossal. A plate was put before me and filled with a portion of food so big it would have fed me abundantly an entire week. The giant offered me a cluster of grapes, and each grape was as big as one of our peaches. I tasted one and found it far sweeter than any I had ever tasted outside. In the interior of the earth, all the fruits and vegetables taste far better and more flavorsome than those that we have on the surface of the earth. We stayed with the giants for one year, enjoying their companionship as much as they enjoyed knowing us. We observed many strange and unusual things during our visit with these remarkable people and were continually amazed at their scientific progress and inventions. All of this time, they were never unfriendly to us, and we were allowed to return to our home in the same manner in which we came. In fact, they courteously offered their protection if we should need it to return home. 
So obviously these giants are the members of the antediluvian race. Could be from Atlantis, not really sure. Um, definitely came from Genesis chapter 6. Um, I don't have any other meanings, other explanations for people to talk like this. I mean, who would concoct a story like that? Obviously, we're getting a lot of evidence being built up right now. Also, a similar experience was by a Norwegian named Olaf Jansen in the recorded book, The Smoky God. The Smoky God is the title of the book, but it refers to the central sun in the hollow interior of the earth, which being smaller and less brilliant than our sun, it appears smoky. The book relates to the true existence of a Norse and father who made their journey into the earth and spent 24, he rescued and spent 24 years in prison for insanity for telling people about this story. His father actually died on this adventure. I also, before closing out on Admiral Byrd <laughs> and um, my little trip to South Dakota, you know, this whole thing has been one con confirmation after another that I'm on the right track, you know, and, and when God starts talking to you, you better listen. I couldn't actually believe this. Pocahontas. Yes, the Pocahontas. And Richard, Admiral Richard Byrd are related by blood. Twelfth generation, ninth great-grandmother of Richard Byrd on the tell number 3269 Father is Chief Powhatan. Folks, this is pretty interesting. I don't know really what to make of all of this, but Pocahontas was born Matoaka and later became Rebecca Rolfe after she converted to Christianity. She was the daughter of Chief Powhatan, and is famous for saving the life of Captain John Smith of Jamestown. Kind of interesting. Here are also some pictures. Um, you can actually do this yourself and check out Google images, and you'll see how they're all spliced, and they kind of fit together like this. They're definitely covering this up, because they they don't want you to know what's coming. I have some theories on this now. I have no idea if any of them are actually any good. But some of my theories now after studying all these things, I do believe we are going to be confronted by an quote-unquote alien race. They will not be coming from outer space. Because there is no out there, okay? There is a firmament, and God is above us. Water, and then God is above us. So, my theory suggests that there will be two types 
of people who come from the inner earth. There will be the ones, the Nordics, who, you know, in my opinion, gave their marching orders to Hitler um, a long time ago to instruct the Aryan race and all of that. There will also be the nasty ones that come out and torment man for five months during the trumpet blasts. Um, to which I don't know where the Luciferians actually are in agenda with. It all gets pretty complicated here, but I'm hoping to flesh all this out by the time these uh, video series are done. What really disturbs me about the dark sun, the smoky god from what the Norwegian had claimed, um, who actually was declared insane for what he was telling everybody and what he saw, the black sun is very interesting. Uh, the Antiber was a scientific institute in the Third Reich dedicated to research the archaeological and cultural history of the Aryan race. Founded on July 1st, 1935 by Heinrich Himmler, Hermann Rith, and Richard Walther Dare, and I can't pronounce that name, sorry guys, later conducted experiments and launched expeditions in an attempt to prove the Aryan Nordic populations had once ruled the world. Its name came from an obscure German word, as you can quote it yourself, meaning I inherited from the forefathers. The official mission of these people was to find new evidence of racial superiority of the Germanic people through historical, anthropological, and archaeological research. Formally, the group was called this word, Study for the Society of Primordial Intellectual History, German Ancestral Heritage, but it was renamed in 1937 as Forschungs. And many of their interests extended beyond science into occultism. This led to German scientists traveling around the world in search of Atlantis, the Holy Grail, and it's reported that the these people sought portals to God. Growing out of this group, the SS, the Fuel, Geschlaft, and the general Nazi interest in the occult was Karotitia, a secret organization dedicated to the research and use of occult forces for the Third Reich. Hermann Reich, was a Dutch historian obsessed with Atlantean myth, and Richard Walter Dare was the creator of a national socialist blunt and bodden blood and soil ideology and was the head of the Race and Settlement Office. It is also interesting to note that the Black Sun in Mesoamerican mythology has many mystical meanings. Among them, it is connected to the god Quetzalcoatl, and his penetration into the underworld through the west door after his diurnal passage on the sky. For the Mexicas, there are two suns, the young day sun and the ancient dark sun. Some scholars regard the mythical black sun as the ancient female origin of all. It is both tomb and womb. This way, 
It is the oneness that uniformly integrates unawareness, death, and yet an expectation of fecundity. We're going to come back to the black sun um, probably in part four. Um, there's a lot of information to be revealed about this, so I'm going to kind of wrap this part three up. This is a very awesome video that you can go look at at YouTube uh, if you want yourself. There's the list. It's Mapping the World by Professor Jerry Broughton. I want to thank um, Sealman for sending this one to me. I do believe that he was the one who sent this to me. It's actually a video, so you have to go to the presentation to actually uh, read or watch this one. Uh, yeah, you need to watch this one. He very clearly tells you that people make maps for their own aims and agendas. And um, I hope you enjoy it because it was very an, an interesting eye-opener to me. What is the shape of the Earth's boundary? These are some scriptures I want to leave you with uh, before finishing up with surfing circumnavigating a flat plane. Um, a lot of people will put Isaiah 40 and 22 into a round earth uh, framework. And and folks, you guys who believe that, that's all you got? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I've given you scripture after scripture, hundreds of scriptures that tell you that the four corners of the earth. It is flat, folks. It is a flat plane. So circumnavigating a flat plane, the world is flat, and if you head west, you'll fall off the edge, Mr. Columbus was told before he headed on his first transatlantic cruise in 1492. All that awaited him and his crew 20 miles west of the Azores was certain death. Dun, 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 dun. Moses was a flat earther, Charles Johnson reveals. The Flat Earth Society was founded in 1492 B.C. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and gave them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Conventional biblical chronology dates the Ten Commandments to 1491 B.C., but it may be imprecise. Perhaps Johnson prefers 1492 for the symmetry. It was, after all, in 1492 A.D. that another famous flat earther made history. Have you heard of the story about Columbus's problems with his crew? As some tell it, the crew nearly mutinied because they regarded the earth as flat and feared that they might sail off of its edge. It was exactly the reverse, explains Johnson. There was a dispute out on the ship, but it was because Columbus was a flat earther. The others believed the earth to be a ball, and they just knew that they were falling over the edge and couldn't get back. Columbus had to put them in irons, and he beat them until he convinced them they were going, they weren't going over any curve, and they could return. He finally calmed them down. To truly be able to claim one has circumnavigated the globe or walked across the continent of Antarctica, one really needs someone in the air above separately observing the navigator. 
interestingly, I've had issues with trying to understand Magellan's viewpoint as he claims he had circumnavigated the globe. Most people will state that there is no issue, but technically there is an issue. A single observer's perspective is insufficient to acquire long-distance mapping and perception. The problem is on a flat plane, no one, one can go around in circles in a forest and end up right back where they started. Did this person just circumnavigate the forest? No. So let's feign naivety and truly discover the reasons for a different perspective. It is a scientifically legitimate question since not one person can think of everything that it would be required people like me to think outside of the globe for answers. People naturally walk in circles. Why? Walking in a straight line requires points of navigation and orienting cues like the sun, moon, and stars. When these are missing, such as an overcast day or night, one quickly finds themselves walking in circles. Circular walking is a natural phenomenon that involves every creature on the earth. Is it magnetic? I do not believe magnetic is the cause of our circular walking. In an experiment done by Jan Suman in 2007, he instructed nine people to walk as straight as possible in one direction for several hours. Six walkers forged through a flat forested region in Germany. Three trekked through the Sahara Desert in southern Tunisia, a sandstorm stopping for their testing in the desert. All walkers wore GPS receivers so that the researchers could analyze their routes. The results published today in the journal Current Biology shows that no matter how hard people try to walk in a straight line, they often ended up going in circles without even realizing that they were crossing their own paths. But there is a twist. Circular walking befell only four forest walkers who had to walk in overcast conditions, and the one desert walker who walked at night after the moon had set. Those who could see the sun or moon managed to travel fairly straight. In a follow-up experiment, the researchers challenged 15 people to walk straight while blindfolded. When they couldn't see at all, the walkers ended up going in surprisingly small circles with a diameter of less than 66 feet. There is also the fact that, said Randy Gallistel, a cognitive neuroscientist at Reuters, University in New Jersey, most dead hikers, after all, are found within a mile, if not 100 meters, from where they got lost. The tendency to spiral on the earth is experienced by all creatures. But most animals do not have a map or new GPS as humans do. Even without GPS or maps, as long as the observer has a reference point, the tendency to travel in a straight line is more likely. The interest of this presentation is not on hikers, but on ships and their navigators. This same event occurs on the water. Sailing in circles, east to west bound circumnavigation is easily performed on a round or flat earth. A compass, which has been used since ancient times, places its center point on the pole which is magnetic north. In his book, Terra Firma, 
The Earth Not a Planet, Proved from Scripture, Reasons and Facts by Scott David Wardlaw, published in 1901, he states, A boy wants to sail his iron toy boat by a magnet, so he gets a basin, in the middle of which he places a soap dish or anything else which he may think suitable to represent the earth. Then he fills the basin with water to display the sea. He puts in his boat and draws it by the magnet round his little world. But the boat never passes around the rim to sail under the basin as if it were globular. Instead of being simply circular, so it is in this world of ours, from the extreme south we can sail from east to west or from west to east around it, but we cannot sail from north to south, or from south to north, for we cannot break through intervening lands, nor pass the impenetrable ramparts of ice and rocks that enclose the great southern circumference. Hobart is in the latitude called by geographers 40 degrees south, and if we sail thence in the southward direction, our voyage would at last be stopped by impassable barriers of ice. Even Keith, in his famous Treatise on the Use of the Globe, acknowledges that the circumnavigation of the earth, as hitherto accomplished, does not prove it to be a sphere. Thus he says, since that time, Magellan, 1519-1523, the circumnavigation of the globe has been performed at different times by Sir Francis Drake, Lord Anson, Captain Cook, etc. The voyages of the circumnavigators have been frequently adduced to prove that the Earth is a sphere, but when we reflect that all circumnavigators sailed westward around the globe and not northward and southward round it, they might have performed the same voyages that the Earth been in the form of a drum or cylinder. There are two pictures here I kind of want to show you so that you can kind of understand when I'm talking about circumnavigating. Most people think it goes around a circle, a curved place. But what's really going on is they are making a circle this way, being the North Pole here, or the north entrance to the hollow earth. Oh, yeah, folks. It's a lot different when you look from a higher perspective. This is another picture showing you how in uh, September 3rd, I think that says 1522, one of Magellan's commander, Juan Sebastian del Cano, completes the trip returning to Seville. And so, yes, you can circumnavigate a flat plane. The farthest southern latitude yet reached is about 78 degrees and is written accounts of those who have sailed in Antarctic seas. Plainly describe the horrors of that inhospitable region. It may be well to give a few extracts from such. In his voyage to the south, Vasco da Gama remarks, the waves rose like mountains in height. Ships are heaved up to the clouds and apparently precipitated to the bed of the ocean. 
The winds are piercing cold and so boisterous that a pilot's voice can be scarcely heard, while a dismal and almost continual darkness adds greatly to the danger. Captain Sir James Clark Ross R.N. writes as follows in his Arctic Voyages, The seas quickly rising to a fearful height, breaking over the loftiest bergs, our ships were enveloped in the ocean of rolling fragments of ice as hard as floating rocks of granite. And another in his exploring expedition, Commander Wilkes, USA, writes, The general health of his crew is decidedly affected. We feel ourselves obliged to report that in our opinion a few more days of such exposure as they have already undergone would reduce the number of the crew by sickness to such an extent as to hazard the safety of the ships and the loss of all on board. Such scenes of rigor and desolation are unknown in the northern regions. In the same degree of latitude as those to which the above extracts refer to the southern seas. In the Arctic, there is a spring and summer, however brief, where nature asserts her right of birth and loveliness. On this point, Rangel writes as follows, Countless herds of reindeer, elk, black bears, foxes, sable, and gray squirrel fill the upland forests. Stone foxes and wolves roam over the low ground, Enormous flights of swans, geese, and ducks arrive in the spring and seek deserts where they may molt and build their nests in safety. Eagles, gulls, and owls pursue their prey along the sea coast. Ptarmigan run in troops among the bushes. Little snipes are busy among the brooks in the morasses, and social crows seek the neighborhood of man's habitation. And when the sun shines in the spring, one may sometimes even hear a cheerful note of a finch in in the autumn, that of a thrush. I have given the above extract from competent authorities in order to show the vast difference which exists in the same number of degrees of latitude between the Arctic and Antarctic region with regard to life and vegetation. The reason of the great disparity of climate in these two regions cannot be better expressed than in the words of parallax. Thus, it is well ascertained fact that the constant sunlit of the north develops with the utmost rapidity numerous forms of vegetation life and furnishes substance for millions of living creatures, but in the south where the sunlight never dwells or lingers about the central region, but rapidly sweeps over sea and land to complete in 24 hours the great circle of the southern circumference, it is not time to excite and stimulate the surface, and therefore, in comparatively low southern latitudes, everything wears an aspect of desolation. A glance at the map at the beginning of this book, you'll have to go to the archive and check it out, shows that the parallels of latitude, instead of converging towards the south, as astronomers and geographers tell us they do, gradually expand from the north center towards the boundaries of the great southern circumference. Within the last 70 years, there has been quite a mania for expeditions to the North Pole, while the poor south has been shamefully neglected. Not necessarily, Mr. Admiral Bird. <laughs> His time had not yet come. 
Is this because it is so very far away from us, or because it is secretly feared by our astronomical friends that there may be no South Pole at all, so that all their fond hopes of the Earth being a globular planet would be, at one fell swoop, dispelled? And like the baseless fabric of a vision, leave not a rack behind. The result of the Challenger's prolonged cruise, as has been stated of 70,000 miles, did not do much to raise their expectations, for like a discouraged deer hound that had lost the quarry, she did not discover a passage to the supposed other side of the world through the ice-bound waters of the South. Should, however, our astronomers consider the problem of the South Pole to be still unsolved, I would advise them, with the assistance of their good friend, the government, to fit out another challenger and endeavor to break the record of former explorers. At the same time, I confess that I have a strong conviction that their, their steamer would be no more able to circumnavigate the world by forcing a passage through the mighty rampart of the South than for a balloonist to steer his course through the bands of Orion." It is truly this statement that for a balloonist to steer his course through the bands of Orion that confirmed my Holy Spirit-led suspicions that a correct perspective on circumnavigation is what is required to establish whether it's flat or round. In all honesty, Eratosthenes, 17 years prior to Magellan's expedition, by the use of trigonometric Evidence is not an actual observation by two or three witnesses. In fact, mathematics are only hypotheses until the experiment can be done in order to establish a theory. In order to have a trustworthy experiment to prove a flat around Earth, I suggest three witnesses at least, one sailing by sun, stars, and point of reference like the old-fashioned way. The second witness, observing from a high vantage point, possibly flying, but must be unobservable by the sailing craft. The second witness must also fly with an old-fashioned navigation and no GPS. Third witness could be satellite or use GPS. Among these three witnesses, and the perfect recording of every experience and observable action, one could truly have the appropriate data to culminate an actual theory to round or flat Earth. Perspective is key here, since mankind has been proven to walk in circles, and the only way around this is to go outside of the handicap and establish numerous observations of the voyage. Perspective is such a huge part of our correctly deducing facts and observing that to have the earthbound viewpoint of circumnavigation is totally pointless. It solves absolutely nothing, because as in the case of the boy in his toy boat, proves you can circumnavigate on a flat, enclosed earth. Indeed, it may be the very reason creatures walk in circle because of the dome we live under. This is in itself could be an experiment. Also, in closing, I want to briefly go over the appearance and disappearance of ships. The horizon line. The appearance and disappearance of ships at sea. The astronomical argument is as follows. 
the hull of a ship being larger than the mast should at a distance be first visible in approaching the shore, but it is not. The mast is saw first. Again, in sailing from the shore, the hull from the above reason should be the last seen, but it is not. For the masts are therefore the sea must be globular. The late Professor Huxley gave us a tidbit of astronomic reasoning on the above alleged proof, which is so very research A <laughs> that it might be guilt framed and placed in the hall of the Royal Society. It is as follows. We assume the convexity of water because we have no other way to explain the appearance and disappearance of ships at sea. We assume, therefore, water is convex. Surely this celebrated scientist should have known that no real proof can be drawn from mere assumption. The argument may be that Huxleyan, but it is certainly not Baconian, and as he acknowledged that he had no other explanation to offer for the convexity of water, we must just take it for what it is worth, which is simply nothing. Some years ago, the late Mr. R.A. Proctor, a well-known writer and lecturer on astronomy, wrote two articles in knowledge on the above subject called Pretty Proofs of the Earth's Rotundity. But alas, for the pretty proofs, as it was soon found to be no proof at all and would never have been brought forward to prove the supposed convexity of water from the appearance and disappearance of ships at sea, had astronomers been aware of the true law of perspective, this law at the horizon requires the eye of the observer to see the higher part of the object before he can see the lower. The horizon, or the line where the sea and the sky seem to meet, is always on the level with the eye, no matter how high the observer may be above the water's surface. This is evident even from a balloon, as the following extract from the London Journal of July 1857 will show. The chief peculiarity of the view from a balloon, which is considerable elevation, was the altitude of the horizon, which remained practically on a level with the eye, at an elevation of two miles, causing the surface of the earth appear concave instead of convex, and to recede during the rapidity of ascent, while the horizon and the balloon seemed to be stationary. Mr. Glasher wrote in a similar manner in his experience in a balloon. The horizon always appears on a level with the eye. Mr. Elliot, an American aeronaut, gives a similar testimony in his letter from Baltimore. I don't know if I've ever hinted, therefore, that the aeronaut may well be the most skeptical man about the rotundity of the earth. Philosophy impresses the truth upon us, but the view of the earth from the elevation is that of a vast terrestrial basin, the deeper part of which is that directly under one's feet. As we ascend, the earth seems to recede, actually to sink away, while the horizon gradually and gracefully lifts, a diversified slope stretching away further and further to the line that at the 
highest elevation seems to close with the sky. Thus, upon a clear day, the aeronaut feels as if suspended at about an equal distance between the vast blue ocean concave above and the equally expanded basin below. This law of perspective meets us at every hand and cannot be gainsaid. If on a straight road we observe a row of lamps, which are all the same size, we shall find that from our standpoint their height will gradually diminish as we look towards the farther end. But if we ourselves approach to that end, the nearer we get to it, the higher proportionately will the lamps appear. Again, if on a straight line we look at the frozen lake from a certain distance, we shall observe people who appear to be skating on their knees. But if we approach sufficiently near, we shall see them performing graceful motions on their feet. Farther, if we look through a straight tunnel, we shall notice that the roof and the roadway below converge to a point of light at the end. It is the same law which makes the hills sink into the horizon as the observer receives, which explains how the ship's hulls disappear in the offing. I would also remark that when the sea is undisturbed by waves, the hull can be restored to sight by the aid of a good telescope. Long after it has disappeared from the naked eye, thus proving that the ships had not gone down behind the watery hill of a convex globe, but it is still sailing on the level of a plain sea. Look, folks, these guys are back there in 1901 stating the same thing we can do now. We even have HD telescopic telescopes. I can see very, very far away. You cannot tell me anymore that I can only see five miles out and the curve starts to take you away. It ain't happening. It is a plane we are on. We are generally treated in astronomical books with a diagram, illustrative of Proctor's pretty proof. Three ships on the arc of a circle, one being near the top and one towards each end of the arc. I have one before me now on page 69. You can look at it yourself of a well-known work, Joyce's Scientific Dialogues, published by Milner and Company Limited in London. I got it lately in order to refresh my memory with some of the curiosities of modern science whilst writing this book. The curve of the arc measures three inches, and if it were continued, the whole circle would be about eight inches, representing the presumed circumference of the world, which equals to 25,000 miles at the equator. The length of each ship is three-eighths of an inch, so that by the rule of simple proportion, each ship would be about 1,171 miles long. Why are such absurd diagrams given? if not to deceive the eye and warp the judgment of the unsuspecting reader. In closing my remarks in this pretty proofs of the Earth's rotundity, I beg to subjoin the following question asked by the Zetis in the article on Ships at Sea in the October of 1893, 
number of the Earth, not a globe review. In the diagrams of ships at sea, given in astronomical works, why are the ships placed near the top and not under? Why is the first ship not placed on the top? Why near the top? And always to go up first, and then to go down afterwards. Any object in nature ever been seen to rise prospectively as it recedes, and then remaining at the same altitude to descend? By whom? When? Where? Is not the observer always on the top of the earth? If not, why not? If the earth were a globe, why not the horizon be a tangent on the sphere at the point of the observation? If so, ought not a ship begin to descend at once as soon as it leaves the observer? Why does a vessel not suiting its behavior to the globular theory? Is it because it's only a theory? Why do astronomers violate the laws of perspective when they make diagrams of ships at sea? And now when the tricks of the so-called astronomical science are exposed, why should not all of our readers believe the plain truth? And the Earth and sea form one vast outstretched and circular plane. Folks, I agree with Mr. Wardlaw's hypothesis. The whole can be restored to sight again by the aid of a good telescope long after it has disappeared from the naked eye. So thus concludes Part 3, Circumnavigation, Admiral Byrd and the Hollow Earth. Now we're getting somewhere, folks. I hope that you'll stay tuned to Part 4. I've got lots more to delve into. Nazis, black suns, oh my. God bless you all. And keep looking up. He is the coming. Yesterday's prophecies, today's headlines. This is the Hal Lindsey Report. And now, Hal Lindsey. Good evening, and welcome to this edition of the Hal Lindsey Report. On July the 5th, the people of Greece followed their young prime minister's instructions and voted against Europe's terms for bailout money. Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras was elected last year promising that Greece would no longer have to follow the austerity measure imposed on them in order to receive more loans from the International Monetary Fund and the European Union's Central Bank. When Greece inevitably ran out of money, they turned again to the EU and its terms called again for austerity. The Europeans wanted the Greeks to live closer to their means. Otherwise, they didn't think Greece would even have a chance at paying down its massive debt. When Cyprus saw that he was at an impasse with the European negotiators, he decided to hold a referendum. He would allow Greek citizens to choose whether or not to accept Europe's terms. Several EU leaders, along with financial analysts around the world, indicated that voting to reject Europe's terms would lead to Greece exiting the Eurozone, that is, the 19 of 28 European Union members that have adopted the Euro as their currency. 
Many predicted the move would eventually lead Greece out of the EU itself. Prime Minister Tsipras convinced Greek voters that rejecting Europe's offer would not lead them out of the Eurozone or the EU. He said a no vote would strengthen his hand at the negotiating table, helping Greece get more money with fewer austerity measures. That is possible. There will be extreme pressure on the IMF and the EU to give in to Greece. An internal IMF document made public just before the referendum indicates that the IMF believes it is impossible for Greece to pay back its massive debt. They say a vast portion of it will simply have to be forgiven. But for now, EU leaders, especially those in the more prosperous nations that will have to shoulder the expense of a bailout, seem to be in no mood to give in. There are a couple of reasons for this, starting with the Prime Minister himself. The New York Times calls him the left-leaning Prime Minister. How times have changed. Not many years ago, a communist was considered radically left-wing. Cyprus met the mother of his children, a woman to whom he is not married, at a Communist Youth of Greece meeting. One of their children is named in honor of Che Guevara, the communist revolutionary whose firing squads killed hundreds, helping Fidel Castro solidify his stranglehold on Cuba. Cyprus is an atheist and the first Greek prime minister to take a secular rather than a Greek Orthodox oath of office. The EU has vested interests in making sure Alexis Tsipras does not succeed. If an anti-capitalist pro-socialist leader succeeds in Greece, then the other financially strapped EU nations, mostly in the South, may elect their own anti-capitalist pro-socialist leaders. That would spell the end of the EU's hopes for long-term financial prosperity. If Europe doesn't relent and come through with some money, Greece will soon start a new program of austerity. The new austerity will be more severe than anything they've seen before. It won't be imposed on them from the outside. It will be imposed on them by the simple fact that they will have no money. Welcome to the real world. America's second president, John Adams, recognized democracy's Achilles heel. If people vote only for their own short-term financial benefits, they will eventually bankrupt the republic. The Greek people voted themselves into a corner. Easy Street always leads to destruction. Greek labor laws sound great to workers, but bankrupted businesses. Until 2006, the Greek government guaranteed lifelong job security to all public sector workers. That sounds wonderful to public sector workers, but it's not the real world. It's a fantasy. The Greek debt now stands at more than $333 billion, but there are only 11 million people in the country, about the size of Ohio. But those 11 million built up a massive national debt. It did not happen by accident. Choices were made. The money was real. Now the debt is real.
American liberals are sure that Europe needs to wipe the slate clean and start pouring new money into Greece. CBS News reported that last week it's a situation some economists say could have been avoided had some of Greece's debt been forgiven when its economy began to crumble in the year 2010. Economists can be so theoretical that they forget money is real. Someone loaned that money to Greece. It came from taxpayers who worked hard for it. It's not just theoretical to them. The underlying structure of the world economic system is faith. That's illustrated by something Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's Analytics, told USA Today, if Greece leaves the Eurozone, there is unlikely to be a big bang moment when the country adopts the drachma. It will happen over time as the Greek government issues IOUs that effectively become the new currency. Let's face it, that lovely $20 bill you may have in your pocket is effectively the same thing, an IOU from the United States. To be more specific, it's an IOU from the Federal Reserve, which is neither federal nor a reserve. It works by faith. Its value comes from our shared belief in it. But that faith may be waning. In Cyprus in 2012 and 2013, we saw banks bailing themselves out with money taken directly from the accounts of the depositors. To me, that sounds just like theft. And in fact, it is theft. But if a government chooses to make it legal, then it's legal, no matter how morally repugnant. Some suggest that Greece should save its bank with the same draconian solution. That such things can happen creates a sense of impending economic doom that hangs over the entire planet. A couple of weeks ago, Ian Spreadbury, manager of one of UK's biggest bond funds, suggested, in the words of the Telegraph of London, to keep cash under the mattress. Will other democratic nations, including the United States, have the character to say no to profligate spending? Will politicians continue to buy votes with promises that, added together over time, will bankrupt the world economic system? Is Greece just the beginning? Each week, I sound the alarm about the growing threat of radical Islam. I call attention to the disturbing decline in America's morals and cultural values. I warn the viewer that the return of Jesus Christ is literally right around the corner. And I share with them the simple plan of redemption that Christ died to provide to every man, woman, and child. But I cannot do it alone. I need your help every week. To support this program, send your tax-deductible gift to Hal Lindsey Media Ministries, P.O. Box 470-470, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74147. You can also support this ministry online. Visit HalLindsey.com or call 1-888-RAPTURE. Thank you for being a crucial part of the Hal Lindsey Report team. Last week in Cairo, a car bomb killed Egypt's top prosecutor, Isham Barakat, he had a position equivalent to Attorney General in the United States. 
To kill such a high-ranking member of the government makes this a major terrorist action. Barakat was killed by Islamic radicals, probably associated with the Muslim Brotherhood. Earlier this month, Islamic militants carried out attacks near the pyramids in Giza and at a famous temple in Luxor. These have important economic ramifications because tourism is crucial to the Egyptian economy. We also know that ISIS is now in Egypt. Last week in the Sinai Peninsula, ISIS militants launched a wide-scale, coordinated assault on military checkpoints. ISIS murdered 50 Egyptian soldiers. The assault took place just 250 miles from vacation resorts, visited by almost 10 million tourists a year. Since July 2013, when Mohamed Morsi was removed from office, 600 Egyptian police and military personnel have died in the Sinai. ISIS is gaining ground all over the Middle East. Many groups are vying for power, but the primary division remains Sunni versus Shiite. 85% of all Muslims are Sunni, but Shiites led by Iran are gaining territory. Iraq, Yemen, and Syria are being torn apart by civil war between these two factions. In Yemen, the Sunni faction has been represented almost exclusively by al-Qaeda. But in this chaos, ISIS has moved in and is quickly becoming a significant player. In both Iraq and Syria, the Sunnis are represented largely by ISIS. Around the world, Sunni Muslims are increasingly likely to identify with ISIS in the battle with the Shiites. This gives ISIS a fantastic recruiting tool. Young Sunni Muslims from all over the world are choosing to join the ranks of ISIS. It's dangerous in America where, in just the last few months, federal authorities have arrested more than 50 radicalized young people in the process of either joining or aiding ISIS. Yet fewer than 1% of Americans are Muslim. If it's dangerous here, think about the danger in the places like Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Israel. You can see this when even so-called moderates say nice things about ISIS. For instance, in January, Dr. Raid al-Wassan of Belfast Islamic Center said, since the Islamic State took over, Mosul has become the most peaceful city in the world. Mosul has been a place of carnage for Christians and anyone else not willing to knuckle down under Islamic State. Peaceful? Sure. Peaceful like a graveyard. It's old news that ISIS continues to commit unthinkable atrocities. But it should never seem common. Last week, they released footage of child executioners shooting 25 Syrian soldiers in an ancient Roman ruin at Palmyra to the entertainment of bloodthirsty crowds. ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi has said that it is the religious duty of Muslims to destroy Egypt's national monuments, including the pyramids and the Sphinx. On Jim Shadari, a radical jihadist from the UK said, when Egypt comes under the auspices of the Khalifa, 
that is the caliphate, there will be no more pyramids, no more sphinx, no more idolatry. That they would so casually threaten 5,000 years of Egyptian history and turn children into executioners proves again that ISIS is the enemy of all humanity. We have recently launched our completely new website at howlindsay.com and we're offering an updated version of our online services. If you have not already done so, please register your new account by visiting howlindsay.com, then clicking on My Account. Visit howlindsay.com today. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. That line from The Wizard of Oz neatly summarizes a new summer TV series on CBS called Zoo. In addition to lions, tigers, and bears, the show features deadly house cats, rampaging horses, and most of the animal kingdom caught up in a murderous rage. The premise is that evolution has suddenly given animals the ability to work together toward eliminating the thing that threatens their survival, humans, you and me. In other words, the premise is pretty silly. But with science fiction, even the most far-out story idea tends to contain something that feels real to us. There are a couple of things that we should notice here. First, this is yet another of the flood of films, television shows, and video games depicting something or some sort of imminent global apocalypse. These stories are having worldwide cross-cultural success. People of all nationalities and religions shows an unrelenting obsession with doomsday scenarios. The stories usually share a similar moral. They show an arrogant and evil humanity facing judgment for its sins, though not by God. They see the judgment coming from nature, either animals, climate, the earth itself, or even angry zombies. I can't help but believe that there is a deep knowing in the human psyche, a realization that something is horribly askew. The world is not right and the problem is in ourselves. And for our sins, we will be judged. The lead character in Zoo says of the animals, they're no longer afraid of us. In Genesis 9 verse 2, God said to Noah and his sons, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. To varying degrees, all animals have a fear of man. But With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.